Welcome to the Takeaway Podcast, where we cover the NBA and the NFL every single Wednesday, bringing you the most up-to-date news across both leagues, both sports nerds and newcomers alike. I am your host, Jihan Lee, and today we'll be covering the takeaways from week four, the truth about the Tua injury, and the status of new head coaches, and much, much more. Before we get into the bulk of our discussion, I'm just going to go over a couple of takeaways that I had after watching, uh, you know, throughout week four. And we're just going to be quickly going over just a takeaway from each of the games. Some of them we will skip over uh, because we'll just have a longer discussion about them later on in the episode. But without much further ado, the first game that everyone was able to watch was the Saints and Vikings going up against one another with the Vikings winning 28-25. to 25. And I think the biggest takeaway that uh, you can come out of this game is Justin Jefferson, if he is doing his thing, if he can do it on a consistent basis, he can be the number one receiver in the league, which is what he wanted to do uh, before the start of the season. He came out of this game with 10 receptions for 147 yards. He had been struggling uh, over the past couple of weeks, and for him to come out this game against, uh, you know, a secondary that's that's you know, it's not like bottom of the barrel, a defense that's really good, uh, that has the talent across, uh, you know, the front seven and the secondary, and for him to put up 147 yards is amazing for him and for you know us viewers as well. Uh, the next game that we're going to be talking about is none other than the Lions and the Seahawks game, which ended in 48-45. to 45. Um, As a Seahawks fan myself, I have to say, Geno Smith is that guy. Obviously, he's not to the talent level of what Russell Wilson is. And some people are crazy to say that Geno Smith is better than Russell Wilson, which is absolutely preposterous to say but Geno Smith had a really really good game uh you know across you know not only in the air but also on the ground as well and Rashad Penny is really really coming into his own now uh obviously we saw him at the end of last season uh really pick it up but now that he's come back and really getting the carries that he needs to you know uh do his thing on the ground uh he finished the game with 17 carries 151 yards two touchdowns so i really really look forward to rashad penny continuing this trend throughout the rest of the season and we did get to see uh kenneth walker get eight carries for 29 yards obviously not a bunch but we're seeing him get a couple carries on the ground as well of course uh there was also dk metcalf seven receptions and 149 yards as well uh and uh, he did take a break in the middle of the game to go use the restroom as well. So um, for any of you guys, uh, you know, who saw that, I assume that you guys got a huge laugh out of that as well. Now, the next game we're going to be talking about is none other than the New York Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this is a really interesting game to talk about. And the reason why is because Kenny Pickett came into the game after... Uh, the first half, and he had uh, 10 throws, or no, sorry, 13 throws, 10 of them completed for 120 yards, and it's, it's 
three interceptions, but I don't count the last one. So, uh, you know, 120 yards and two interceptions, realistically taking away the Hail Mary interception at the very end. And he made some really, really good throws uh, throughout the game. And some, you know, not not so much. But um, I definitely think that Kenny Pickett can come into uh, potentially even next week as the starter and see him progress uh, from, you know, the start all the way to the end as a full uh, starter. And uh, it, it it looks like he has a really good connection with uh, the other rookie, uh, George Pickens. Uh, he had some he had some two really good throws to Pickens um, that really, really amazed me personally. So as a Pittsburgh fan, I think you can really look forward to uh, what Kenny Pickett can do throughout the season as potentially the starting quarterback starting uh, next week. The next game we're going to be talking about uh, is going to be none other than the <clears throat> New York Giants and the Chicago Bears. And I want to go a little bit more in depth about this game when we talk about the head coaches. But uh, Saquon Barkley is back. I think that's the biggest takeaway that you can take from this game. He had 31 carries, which is a lot of carries for 146 yards but he's able to take that load he's able to run the ball he had some crazy a crazy play because uh he had uh uh i believe it was a screen pass that he caught almost got tackled uh he caught it on the right side of the field caught it spun out ran all the way to the left side of the field it was able to get the first down and a couple more yards as well which was absolutely crazy uh, you know, Saquon Barkley is, is back from his injury and he's my pick for comeback player of the year. And I really, really hope that he'll, he stays healthy and we get to enjoy, uh, his, uh, I guess his play throughout this season. Uh, the next game we're going to be talking about is the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, and the Titans win this game 24 to 17. And uh, the takeaway I think you can come out of this game with is Derrick Henry is a lot. He, he's, I believe that he's fully healthy. Uh, he was, he came out of this game with, or ended this game with 22 carries for 114 yards and a touchdown. And uh, this team goes as Derrick Henry goes. Um, we, I mean, we knew that, at least I knew that going into the season, but, uh, really like without, um, Derrick Henry, there really isn't much of an offense. Um, to give you an idea, Ryan Tannehill threw, uh, 17 out of 21 for only 137 yards, but did throw two touchdowns. The longest yardage, uh, for any, pass catcher for the Titans was three receptions for 38 yards and that was uh, a conquo and he did get a touchdown as well but uh, the passing game for the Titans uh, is not obviously their strong suit and they kind of go as Derrick Henry goes uh, so it's gonna be hard to I, I think for them it's you can it's really evident how uh, important AJ Brown was to their passing offense 
and obviously we can see how vital he is for the Philadelphia's uh, offense as he has an amazing connection with Jalen Hurts. The next game we're going to talk about is the Los Angeles Chargers and the Houston Texans. Uh, I think this is really uh, the biggest concern that I had uh, coming into this week, uh, especially was the health of Justin Herbert. Uh, he came out of this game, finished it with 27 out of 39 for 340 yards and two touchdowns. So he looks to be really healthy, and that's really, really nice to see that. Um, I mistakenly said uh, when we were talking about uh, Justin Herbert's injury about uh, that he had a rib fracture. Uh, it wasn't that his ribs were fractured. It was the rib cartilage that was fractured, which is a little bit different than the actual ribs being fractured. So the recovery time for uh, the rib cartilage being fractured is a bit different than the actual ribs being fractured. So that's really, really um, good to see uh, from Herbert and just to see him be healthy. We don't want to, I mean, personally, I don't want to lose these, uh, you know, young quarterbacks, young players uh, to like a a serious injury uh, that could potentially derail their season or their career potentially, which we will get into later on the episode. But next, we're going to be talking about the Atlanta Falcons and the Cleveland Browns. And the Falcons win this game 23-20. to This game was primarily found on the ground. And although Nick Chubb came away with 19 carries, 118 yards, um, it was the Falcons who were able to come away with this win. Um, And... It was just a, a handful of just their backs and uh, timely plays, uh, uh, you know, from their offense that they were able to come away with this win. Very close game, obviously. Um, they were able to make a huge comeback, uh, scoring 13 points in that fourth quarter after not scoring for the past two. Uh, and so it was, I guess, encouraging to see, but... Uh, it's going to be the biggest takeaway that I can say is both of these teams need help. Um, you know, it's really hard for the, for both teams to really uh, find consistent, uh, I guess, consistent consistency uh, from their team. Um, but it was very, it was really an entertaining game. It wasn't a game that I spent a lot of time watching, but definitely a game that, you know, was close. So, entertaining to watch the next game is the cowboys against the washington commanders and somehow the cowboys were able to win this 25 to 10 and they are standing at three and one and the takeaway cooper rush is that guy (laughs) he came away with this game 15 of 27 with 223 yards and two touchdowns he looked uh, just really comfortable in this offense he uh, he has won over that locker room. He uh, just has the guys motivated, uh, uh, just ready to play each and every single game. And they just look poised and ready to play. Uh, and it begs the question on whether you want to bring uh, Dak Prescott in when Cooper Rush is playing this well and they're able to get these wins. Um, so the biggest discussion now is who do you play as a starter now? 
Dak Prescott or Cooper Rush, which sounds like a weird question to ask. But with Cooper Rush playing this well, I think you do have to ask that question. The next game we're going to be talking about is the Eagles and the Jaguars, as the Eagles came away with a win. And they're the only team left that is undefeated. They're 4-0. And they won this game 29-21. And uh, I think the biggest uh, takeaway that you can uh, come out of this game with is Philadelphia is that team. They were down uh, with... uh, it wasn't even like a bad turnover by Jalen Hurts. Uh, he threw the ball in a tight window. Uh, it bounced off, you know, with the game being rainy, uh, and they were able to get a pick six. And then <clears throat> the Jaguars were able to score on their drive, putting it up fourteen to zero. And, and and they were just so calm, so collected. They were able to come back from that two touchdown deficit, put up twenty in the second quarter, uh, and then they were able to close out that game. Uh, with uh, nine points in the fourth quarter to uh, get them an eight-point win. And they just, just look, the, the confidence that uh, Jalen Hurts has despite, you know, having that pick in the first quarter for a pick six, uh, it just shows how much he, I think he has matured as a quarterback and, and, and as a leader to uh, come back from that kind of deficit and will his team to a win. I think this team is for real. They they definitely are going to be uh, uh, a playoff team, and I think potentially the number one seed in the NFC. So, uh, if you aren't aware of how good the Philadelphia Eagles are, please go watch them. Please take a time out of your day to go watch their game. They're really good. They're just fun to watch, and potentially going to make some really big noise. In this year's postseason, the next game we're going to be talking about is the Carolina Panthers and the Arizona Cardinals. As uh, the Cardinals come away with a twenty-six to sixteen win, and uh, the biggest takeaway that I think you can t- come out of this game with is, um. It's it's uh, they just need more help on that offensive end, uh, defensively as well. But you know they had to come back from you know a significant deficit. I mean they were able to score sixteen points in that fourth quarter, but I think we can. It's it's evident to see the kind of. Uh, gravity that Hopkins, uh, um, I guess, uh, he 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 brings, uh, and just allow uh, what kind of playmaker he is for Murray. The connection that they have, they just need playmakers on that offensive end and on that defensive end as well, uh, to really just uh, uh, just help them, you know, not have to play from behind all the time, and not have these close games. Because against the Carolina Panthers, who, to be completely honest, aren't that great of a team, uh, you know, it was a lot. It, it was much. It was a much closer game than the scoreboard indicates at the very end of the game. But um, we we'll, we'll really get to see, uh, you know, Hopkins come and 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 
the help that he brings once he returns, uh, I believe, in week seven. Next game we're going to be talking about is the Raiders getting their first one in the season against the Denver Broncos in a 32-23 win. Josh Jacobs went absolutely crazy. 28 28 carries, sorry, for 144 yards and two touchdowns. And uh, Devontae Adams, nine receptions for 101. Um, But I think um, despite them winning this game, I think it does beg the question on, uh, you know, whether, although we will get into depth about it a little later, um, is for both of these teams, in fact, the coach that they did hire, if that coach is right for them. Um, I, I, I don't know if it is, uh, if it's just me, I believe, you know, a lot of you guys uh, at home agree with this testament, uh, but I didn't expect the Raiders to go 0-3 in their first three games. Um, and, and the Broncos have their own struggles as well. But um, I definitely think that both of these teams need their coaches to step up uh, offensively, defensively, just as leaders as a whole, and just have them be focused on even the, just the little things that are going on in the game to you know help them focus on uh, you know getting that W in the win and loss column. Uh, the final game that we'll do the takeaway on, and uh, at least for this section is going to be the Green Bay Packers against the New England Patriots, who the Packers came away with this game with a 27-24 to uh, win in overtime. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw for 21, 35, 251 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Aaron Jones had 16 carries for 110 yards. Alan Lazard, six receptions for 116 yards. Now... Uh, the Patriots had Bailey Zap Zappy Zappe Bailey Z. We'll just call him Bailey Z at quarterback, <laughs> who threw only 15 times for 99 yards and a touchdown, and it was a lot of their uh just. Their, their their defense, honestly, to that really uh, made plays that were able to keep them in the game. Uh, and a lot of it was uh, just, you know, it was just hard for, I guess it's, it's, it's evidence to see that the Patriots aren't as good as we think that, or at least I thought that they were going to be. Uh, despite them making the playoffs last season, uh, it's just, it's just they're not there. They need more playmakers on offense, especially at the receiver position, uh, at, at tight end. Just I think defensively, they are a lot better than they are on their offense, but they just need help. Um, but the Packers, despite losing Devontae Adams, I think they are in a good spot. I don't see them as uh, championship contenders, but I do think that they can make the postseason, potentially make some noise in the postseason as well. And uh, potentially this is potentially this might be what Aaron Rodgers needs, just to have people that he can throw to instead of having to, uh, uh, I guess, focus on 
throwing to a specific player exclusively uh, in, in which he had an Adams, which I don't think that that's, that leads to like a championship-level team. I think you do need that number one guy. But Aaron Rodgers is making what he has given work, at least for the moment. The final game, uh, I think... Uh, I wanted to talk about more in depth, but um, I think we can just make just a quick takeaway on is the San Francisco 49ers beating the Los Angeles Rams convincingly with a 24-9 win. And, oh my goodness, Debo Samuel is is crazy. Six receptions for 115 yards and a touchdown. I believe he had a 53-yard catch and run for a touchdown. And, and that was just impressive to see. But the 49ers defense is keeping them in games. Uh, I love, I love uh, Talano Hufanga. He's, uh, I just love him at the safety position and just how he works in that defense. Obviously, that front, uh, we had um, Samson Ebukan with two sacks. Nick Bosa with two sacks, Hassan Ridgeway with a sack, Charles Omenehi with a sack, and you had uh, Demondio Modre. You know, I'm not... Lenore, number 38, he also had a sack as well. Uh, But it's just, they have playmakers on that defensive end. And to be completely honest, they do kind of have the Rams number in the regular season. Um, But... Cooper Cup still did his thing, 14 receptions for 122 yards. Um, but outside of Cup and I guess you could say Higby at tight end, but uh, Cup really doesn't have any help. Uh, Allen Robinson had two receptions for seven yards. Um, so it's just tough to see this offense uh, not have a secondary playmaker outside of Cup. Now, we're going to get into potential, or, or I believe the biggest news that has come out of week four. And unfortunately, it isn't good news. And that is the Tua Tavailoa injury. Now, if you aren't aware, Tua Tavailoa uh, in week three, when he was playing against the Buffalo Bills, uh, towards the end of the second quarter, uh, after throwing a, a uh, after throwing, he was hit kind of late. I believe it was Matt Milano, but he was hit a little bit late. He stumbled back. Uh, his head kind of whipped back and hit the turf. And he got up. He looked okay, but then he stumbled a bit as he was walking uh, to the huddle and. Uh, watching that uh, without, um, like, I guess, like, diagnosing anything myself, it just looked as if he hit, he hit his head, that it was potentially a concussion, um, that he potentially would have been pulled, he should have been pulled out of the game, but uh, he came into the game later, and they were able to come away with a win. Now, seeing that kind of, uh, you know, it, 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 let's see, Tua was okay during that time, you know, although I may not agree with it. If he says he wants to go in, even then, I don't think you should put him in, but 
he went in and, and they were able to win. But then you have a game on Thursday, four days later, and this time against the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he's in the pocket, he drops back for a throw, and he is sacked. But as he is sacked, he's kind of whipped backwards, and his head slams into the turf. And because of that, he's coming out with his fingers kind of locked in place like this. And it was, it's just devastating to see uh, negligence from the Miami Dolphins organization to have their young quarterback being thrown in to a game four days after he got his head uh, hit uh, on Sunday that they attributed to him stumbling as ankle and back injuries, which <sighs> is just, you have to protect. There, there are rules in place that protects the quarterback during the games. But if the organization is just negligent and they decide to throw in their quarterback with a potential concussion four days later into a game, and he, during that game, he hits his head and comes out with a concussion. It, it, it's just it's just frustrating to see as a fan. You don't want to see uh, any any player get hurt like this. You know, even if it's if it's part of a rival, a team. No one is hoping for, not even just exclusively for the NFL, just anybody get hurt. No one is is looking for people to get hurt. And for you to put uh, your quarterback in a situation that is potentially career-ending for them, that is something that I think needs to be uh, 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 taken into account and... I think as fans, we need to, uh, you know, consider and, and say, like, we can't look at players sitting out after something like that and be like, oh, that's, that's, that's you know, what do you like? He, he, you need to play, you need to win. Because, yes, although athletes, it's their job to play the sport that they are given. If you have a potential concussion, you should not play. Even if even if it's not like a confirmed concussion, if you have a head trauma like that, you should not be playing four days after you get that. Um, so there are a couple updates that have come uh, from this injury. Obviously, after the game, uh, he was cleared for him to fly back with the team to Miami. So hopefully. Uh, he he is fine. Hopefully, he'll have a, a a swift recovery. And my condolences go out to him and his family, and and just uh, for him to just you know come back healthy, uh, better, stronger than before. But uh, news has come out that the doctor that initially, I believe it is the doctor that initially, um diagnosed him for i believe the back and the ankle injuries not for that diagnosis specifically but because of uh his actions during investigation afterwards 
uh, he was fired from his uh, position, and it was a neuroscientist. Um, and so it's hard to say. Um, they're, they're, the NFL is not saying that the back injury and the ankle injury diagnosis is the reason why um, they uh, fired this man. Uh, but there is a potential correlation to that, or it's just that they don't want someone like that at the position in the future. Whatever the case may be, I do think that it was a right decision, whether for that diagnosis or not, for someone to see that and to say that they're cleared to go and play for you know four games afterward. Um, I think it is is something that the NFL should be protecting, and the the biggest thing is the concussion protocol itself that that needs to be changed, and uh, news has come out that they have changed it so that gross motor, uh, I believe gross motor function, I believe is what it's called, that that is now in the concussion protocol as well. Um, so here we go. Uh, here we go. So Tonga Loa must proceed through a five-step process before returning to the field. And this is what it looks like paraphrasing from the return to play portion of the protocol. So there are five total phases. And the first one is rest and then limiting or avoiding physical cognitive activity. If they aggravate symptoms, introduction of limited stretching and balancing work and moving to light aerobic exercise. Uh, phase two is gradual progression. Uh, gradual progress toward cardiovascular exercise, dynamic stretching, and more balanced work. Uh, neurocognitive and balance testing can be administered if the results are interpreted as back to baseline. Pre-concussion levels in phase two is satisfied. Uh, phase three is increased cardio exercise to mimic sport-specific activity along with supervised strength training. The player can practice with the team during sport-specific exercise for 30 minutes or less. And phase four, uh, the player can advance to non-contact football activities such as throwing, catching, and running. Uh, another round of neurocognitive and balance testing is administered to confirm results remain at baseline. And then phase five, a club physician must clear the player for full football activity, including contact. Then an independent neurological consultant, or INC, assigned to the team by joint agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA, must concur with the team physician that the concussion has resolved at that point. The player is cleared to play in his team's next game. So the NFL and the NFLPA were the ones who fired that, uh, I guess, uh, the independent neurological consultant or the INC. And so um, uh, it's, uh, I guess, it's just hard to see as a fan, uh, a a young player especially, have a concussion like this that could have been prevented easily by just having him not play that game. And I just think it's just heartbreaking to see that after this kind of uh, uh, situation or circumstance has occurred, that that is when we make these kind of changes, that no one has taken the initiative to look at these things ahead of time and say, hey, hey, this is something that we potentially could have problems with in the future. This is something we should be looking out for. This is something we should be worried about. Um, and it just no one questioned that Tua was coming into play four days after we saw him whip his head back into the ground. 
uh, I think that that does constitute some changes in the future, and, and it looks like the NFL has made some initiative to do so. So hopefully we will see Tua come back uh, healthy, and I think until then it's going to be hard for them, hard for me as a fan to say that they're going to be like true championship contenders. Um, but I guess we'll get to see throughout, uh, you know, until Tua's return, uh, how this team will function with uh, Bridgewater at the helm. Um, but re- once again, I do hope that Tua gets a swift return uh, to play. Um, and we'll move on to our next topic, which is going to be talking about the new head coaches that have been instituted to uh, the various organizations across the league. Now, we aren't going to be talking about all of them. There are uh, a huge handful of them that were in state the last season. But the big ones are the ones that I want to talk about, and that are, that is the uh, head coach for the Miami Dolphins, Mike McDaniel, uh, the New York Giants coach, and uh, Ryan Dayball, and the Jaguars coach in Doug Peterson. Uh, now I want to start with start off with that last one in Doug Peterson um, because he was a head coach before, obviously a Super Bowl winning head coach uh, in Philadelphia, but. Uh, I did want to talk about him in this section because um, this is something that we, uh, or at least a lot of people were talking about uh, for the Jaguars in their hiring for coaches uh, during offseason, which was that in order for Trevor Lawrence to really come to his own, that you need to hire an offensive coach, have him understand an NFL offense at this level, and for him to really uh, come into his own and see what it is like to really function and and operate at you know at the nfl level and i think that he has really come into his own with doug peterson as head coach and he looks just really confident really good and really poised in the pocket their team i don't think anyone outside of that organization expected them to be looking this good this early on i think that they could potentially make the postseason that division is is relatively weak with um you know, the Houston Texans, the Tennessee Titans, the Indianapolis Colts in that division, they could potentially come out of that as, you know, to win that division and then get a top four seed in the postseason. Um, and I think that would be the much-needed experience for Lawrence just to get uh, that feeling of what it's like to play in the, you know, the postseason. And uh, it just it just shows that, you cannot attribute a, a a a quarterback a young quarterback's uh, struggles early on to them exclusively. They they do need to be built around. They do need to have a head coach that you know uh, uh, operates and and runs a pro style offense in the NFL. And that I'm sorry, that's a motorcycle passing by. I don't know if you can hear that. But that move helps me move on to the next coach that I want to talk about, and that is no other than Mike McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins. And they were able to build around Tua, although he is injured now. But when Tua was playing, they had a, a offense that was explosive, that could make plays with, with Jalen Waddle, with Tyreek Hill. And just Mike McDaniel has just a, a presence in that locker room. And he just looks like a head coach 
that can be successful for many, many, many years. And coming out of that Shanahan tree, I think Mike McDaniels was, was an amazing hire for this organization. And I think going into the future, he will be a, 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 a head coach that we will talk, we'll be talking about as, as one of the up-and-coming uh, young head coaches that should be in the conversation as the best, if not one of the best, in our league. And the last one that I want to give my uh, props to is the head coach of the New York Giants, and that is Ryan Dable. He just uh, coming from you know the Bills organization last season, and for him to come in and put this this team together, uh, look at what they have with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley coming back, having their rookies come in, having the pieces in place with this team that had been struggling you know, throughout the past seasons. And for him to come in uh, to this situation in, in New York, which is, you know, it comes with its uh, 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 with its advantages and its disadvantages. But for them to come out of week four with, with, with I can't believe I'm saying this, but for them to come out of week four with a 3-1 record is, is just a testament to uh, the kind of coaching that Brian Dable is doing in New York. And I just look forward to seeing him uh, progress throughout the rest of the season and just see uh, him, I guess, come into his own and just really solidify his spot in this league as a prolific head coach. Now, on the flip side of that story, we have to, I think we have to talk about Nathaniel Hackett. Josh McDaniels of the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders, respectively. Now, both of these teams went up against each other. You know, um, uh, it's just these two teams um, just don't, these two coaches don't look like they have a identity they don't have uh um the respect of uh, of their players of of their organization and it's just they uh they just their their teams had expectations in place with the talent that they had and what we projected them to achieve this season and both of them have fallen short of that. Now, we can attribute that to growing pains. We can attribute that to, you know, first-time head coaching or coming to a new organization that it takes time. But as we just mentioned in our in the other coaches that we just talked about, that isn't always the case. And that if you are a good head coach, you know, it, it shouldn't take you, you know, this long for you know not necessarily for you guys for you to win but for your team to look like they know what they're doing and like there aren't you know uh delay of game flags that they aren't penalties here and and penalties there that are costing you uh, um significant uh momentum um yardage wins potentially and uh, just 
the biggest thing is just uh, just they just don't have they aren't operating their own side of the ball. You know, Josh McDaniels on uh, was on offense. Nathaniel Hackett was also on offense, and both of these teams on offense just don't look like a well-oiled machine. That they don't look efficient, consistent. They don't have that uh, identity that other teams have. Um, and it's just, uh, I don't know if we can definitively definitively say right now that these head coach, the, both of these coaches, you know, aren't good. But I think it does beg the question and pose the question on, you do have to question on whether you continue with these head coaches or not. Um, but I think, you know, they, you have to give them, I think, a full season's worth to make that full conclusion. But I think they are on the hot seat coming into week five that you really have to be like, hey, if you guys don't do you do well, you know, potentially you guys got to watch out. Like, uh, the Broncos have a relatively easy matchup against the Colts this week. So if they don't come out and look uh at the very least competitive that would beg uh concerns for me and specifically for the Denver Broncos a lot of people are attributing the struggles of their season to Russell Wilson why 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 are you guys like why why like what what is it that is giving you the impression that Russell Wilson is the reason why this team is struggling. Russell Wilson, for you know, for this game specifically against the Raiders, he went seventeen to twenty-five, two hundred and thirty-seven yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. And if I can quickly pull this up, um, that ended him up with a QBR of where is it? The QBR of 124.9. 124.9. And you guys are saying Russell Wilson is the problem. Russell Wilson is the reason why we're losing games. 124.9. QBR. I think you just have to say that this is a tribute to coaching and that Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett are just not on the same page as as a, a quarterback and coaching tandem. Now, on the flip side, we have the Las Vegas Raiders who will be going up against the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, but I think in this, you have to look. You can't just lose the game in the first quarter, I think. You have to look competitive. You have to look like you give at least the Chiefs a run for their money. You know, I, I don't expect them to win, but you have to be able to at least look competitive in this game. Um, like I said, I don't expect the Las Vegas Raiders to win, but you just have to look like you're giving, you know, the Chiefs at least make them work for it. Don't just hand them a win on a silver platter. Um, but 
I think it does show that coaching does matter in this league. You have to have a good head coach in order to operate. You can you can uh, compensate for lack of talent with head coaching, but you cannot compensate lack of head coaching with talent. Head coaching matters as much as any other position on the field. If you don't have a good head coach, you will struggle in this league. I think that it's really important to get a good head coach that knows what they're doing, that has a good culture, that has a good presence in the locker room, and is able to uh, win over his team and just help them uh, be competitive and obviously potentially get wins in the future. Now, quickly moving on, giving a rest for some NFL talk. We have the NBA now. Uh, we had a bunch of preseason games going on, but uh, I think I'll wait to really get into the meat of the NBA once the actual season starts. Um, I think we might have a more dedicated episode for next week. Um, if you guys want to see a more dedicated NBA uh, episode, please leave some comments in, this, you know, in the comment section below. But um, today I actually wanted to talk about two um, yet-to-be-drafted players uh, who will be drafted in next year's draft, or I guess you could say this, no, next year's draft, 2023, and that is none other than Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson. Uh, now, the reason why I wanted to talk about these two guys is... Um, they went up against each other, obviously, Scoot Henderson being part of the G League Ignite, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce uh, Wenbanyama's team, but uh, they did go up against each other, and it ended in a uh, 122-115 to win for the G League Ignite. Now, uh, Scoot Henderson, uh, he uh, ended this game. Why is it not popping up? Um, interesting. Um, I believe, okay, it's not coming up right now um, on my screen, but he ended with 28 points and 9 assists, I believe, if I'm wrong. Um, hopefully I can get that sorted out. Um, as we talk about this, um, but, uh, so he ended with, uh, 28 points, uh, and I believe nine assists. Oh, there we go. There we go. We got it to work. Okay. So Scoot Henderson, he ended with, yes, 28 points, nine assists, and five rebounds, uh, as well as two steals. And Victor Wimbunyama ended with 37 points. Uh, four rebounds and five blocks. Now, the biggest thing that uh, I think is the discussion now is who is the number one overall pick between these two. I think Scoot Henderson, after seeing this game, he is definitely making a case for the number one overall pick. Now, it's hard to pass up Wambanyama's uh, skill set, his size, his length, just 
you can't you don't find a prospect like that ever uh he's he's standing at seven foot four has skills like a guard can pass can shoot can can dribble can uh play face up can play back to the basket obviously he doesn't need you know to be a little bit stronger to really play back to the basket but he has the the tools to do all those things and uh for context he shot seven of eleven from three at seven foot four and some of these were in transition just pull up three catch and shoot corner three step back I, I believe he did a step back of this game if not a step back then at least just sizing up shot um and just defensively he he he's just just he's a problem on the end as well just erasing shots he had two huge blocks where uh henderson tried to uh i think two jump shots where he tried to put him over one manyama um just erase them now on the flip side uh we have someone like scoot henderson now scoot henderson is a little bit different of a player compared to one manyama he's a he's a guard um that uh he i believe he is let me get let me get the exact stats on his uh length and his or his size he's six foot two um he's a six foot two guard at only 18 years old right now he's almost going to be 19 uh pretty soon but uh he just has uh, a finishing ability he has a playmaking ability that's that's uh amazing he, he plays solid defense he can score he can he can you know shoot the mid-range he can shoot uh the three off the dribble uh i can finish inside he just looks uh, uh he looked just super comfortable super confident he took on the challenge of playing against uh one he even he had a step back, a crazy step back three over one Binyama. I don't know how he got that shot off. But for him to just step back uh, at the top of the key and just sink that three was was, was just confidence, uh, I guess, uh, uh, to say from the, the, from the scouting perspective because it was a question that we did have on Henderson coming into this season. Uh, was, it was something that we were all looking out for was his, his progression in his shooting ability. And I think this game really showcased it. Although he only shot two of three from three, he had some really good uh, mid-range jump shots that he was able to put in. And he, although he has not solidified his, uh, you know, spot as number one overall pick, I think it does have the case uh, for you to really potentially have Scoot Henderson go number one overall over Wimbanyama. I don't think it is a crazy prediction to say that Henderson has that chance. You know, it, 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 and after this game, he is definitely making a case for himself to do so. And I, I'm just really looking forward to seeing what both of these guys bring to the table for uh, any NBA team that they are able to join. I think any team... Will be lucky to have either of these guys on their team. Now we're going to be moving on to our second to last topic um, of today, and that is 
I think probably one of the most exciting games of this week. And that is none other than the Baltimore Ravens going up against the Buffalo Bills. Now this game ended uh, 23 to 20. Really, really, really close game. And uh, for context, this game was in a full, full hands of the Baltimore Ravens early on. In the first uh, first quarter, in fact, um, Josh Allen threw a pick to Marlon Humphrey um, that they were able to convert into a score. Then they were able to come down again and score another touchdown. They were up 14-0 to and 14-3. to they were able to come down and end, or not end the the, the first half, but and put you know uh, put themselves in a position where they were up seventeen points. They were twenty to three uh, before Buffalo's last drive at the end of the first half, where they were able to close that gap to ten points. Now, with what? Um, you know, the Baltimore Ravens offense was doing in the first half. It was crazy to, like, if you were to tell me the Baltimore, that that was the last time we were going to see the Baltimore Ravens score, I would have called you crazy. It was just, this was a rainy game. So you have to take that into account. Lamar Jackson, uh, he threw for 20 of 29, which was a, you know, a really accurate game for only 144 yards, which, you know, taking the weather into account, I think you do have to understand the yardage uh, behind that. But he also had 11 carries for 73 yards. Uh, he had one touchdown, two interceptions. Um, it was just... Just Lamar Jackson did his thing, uh, at least with what he had. Um it was just a really defensive game throughout uh, for both teams, in fact. Um, but Josh Allen had 19 of 36, uh, 213 yards and a touchdown and an interception. He also ran 11 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown. Um, a lot of the work was done on the ground, obviously, because of the weather with it, you know, with the rain coming down, uh, you know, relatively hard. But it's just the biggest thing that the reason why I wanted to talk about this game a little bit more in depth was the last play of the game for the uh, Baltimore Ravens was they were fourth and goal. I believe it was fourth and goal. Um, I think they were on the three yard line. It was either the three yard line or the two yard line. And instead of choosing to kick a field goal to put them up. 23 to 20. And this was with four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Having not scored a single point in this entire second half up until, you know, this decision. Why would you not want the three points? Now, I can see, you know, that if you do score there, then it guarantees that you uh, force overtime at the very least unless they you know get a touchdown and then go for two but for you to go for it not kick the field goal 
and then not get it on fourth down. And or or not 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 only not get it, but you throw an interception in the end zone that puts them in great position. Like if you were on fourth down on the three or two yard line and you go for it and you just throw it away, then you put the Bills four minutes left on the clock on their own two, three yard line. Potentially your, your defense makes a play, you get the ball back or you get a, you know, or, or, or they take too long and they aren't able to get downfield and then it goes to overtime. But for you to go for it on the Buffalo Bills two yard line, not kick the field goal, having not scored that entire second half, and then throw a pick in the end zone. I love the aggressiveness that, that the Baltimore Ravens play with, but at some point, you just have to take the points and just trust your defense to make a stop. I would rather you get the three points and, and force the Bills to go all the way down to score a touchdown and lose and trust in your defense and then to go for it, not score, throw an interception. The Buffalo Bills get to go all the way down and kick a field goal and win. Uh, I, I, it's just, I don't think that Coach Harbaugh is, is a bad coach by any means. That is that just not what I'm saying. I'm not saying you know, his decision-making, his his play calling is bad. I mean, that's not, that's, not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But it's just the decision there to decide to not go for it, or to go for it, sorry, not kick the field goal and then end up turning the ball over in that situation uh, it's hard for me to say that the Baltimore Ravens are contenders, but it's not to the point where you say that I can say that they're pretenders either. Um, I do think that they have a, a fairly good chance of making the playoffs. Obviously, their division is, is is pretty tough. They have, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers who who aren't aren't as good as as uh, as as before. Obviously, losing T.J. Watt to a pec injury, but you have you're in the same division as the Cincinnati Bengals. Cleveland Browns, you know, if they get, if and when they get Deshaun Watson back, will be a much better team. It's going to be a tough division to to win. You'll you'll have some matchups. Obviously, you're still in the AFC, so there's a lot of good teams. But it's just not to the point where I can say that they, I'm confident enough with them to make a, a, a postseason run just the, the 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 decision to go for it there in that situation late in the game, uh, to put you guys you know three and one uh, on the season. I think uh, it was just a tough, risky decision to say the least. Now the final game and the final topic that we are going to be talking about is to ask the question: Is Tom Brady washed? And the reason we are asking this question is the game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs ended with the Kansas City Chiefs winning 41-31. to Now, Tom Brady uh, losing this game pretty badly. The score doesn't say what, this, what, what you know, the game actually looked like throughout, you know, early in the game. Obviously, it looks like it's just a 10-point loss, but... Tom Brady just 
it, it, early on, it, they just struggled to find their footing. Um, and, you know, it just didn't look like they had uh, momentum and, and consistency throughout the entire game. It was just hard for them to find their footing uh, offensively. But despite that, and a lot of people saying, should Tom Brady have come back this season? He still threw 39 of 52 for 385 yards and three touchdowns. So to answer the question in a short and, 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 and sweet manner, no, Tom Brady is not washed. Um, he's still accurate. He's still throwing the ball with zip. He's still dissecting defenses. He's still throwing an, uh, an amazing game right now. It's just that he is not like of, of, of before when he was in New England where he could carry a team. He's, he's never really been that kind of player. Uh, you do need to have playmakers around him, especially now, of guys who can get open on their own, where he can throw to them accurately and for them to make plays uh, after the catch. And especially he needs a great defense, which, which he does have in the, in the Buccaneers. Unfortunately, they did give up 41 points this game. But um, to end off this topic and, and this episode relatively shortly, is Tom Brady washed? No, not really. Stop asking that question. Should he have come back this season? Yes, he's still playing really, really well. He's probably still one top 10 quarterback in this league. I'm not going to make the full list right now, but just off of my head, he's probably up there. If If, if not top 10, he's definitely top 15. I don't know who you'd be taking over him. That's like 14 players or, 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 or like 10, 12 players over Tom Brady right now. But Tom Brady is still doing his thing. Uh, despite them being 2-2 two and two and having a you know, pretty bad loss uh, this past week, I think they're able. They're going to be able to bounce back. Uh, Mike Evans is back now, obviously. Um, he had like 102 yards this um, this game, and they're gonna have a, a pretty easy game next week against the Atlanta Falcons. So, uh, we'll really be able to see, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, uh, Cole Beasley, who they had to pick up because of injuries, and and then you know other guys like Cody Jones, um, and, and uh, the other like Russell Gage and the other receivers that they have to really. You know, understand and, and see what Brady is seeing on the field. Um, so, uh, yeah, without uh, further ado, I'd just like to end this episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, we are on Google Podcast now, as I mentioned last episode. Uh, but starting in episode five now, we're actually going to be uploading clips after the fact. So uh, go check those out as well. They're going to be short clips of the podcast itself. So check that out on YouTube as well. Um, without uh, any more further ado, thank you so much for watching. Uh, stay positive, stay motivated. Thank you so much and peace.